Yeah, it's really great to be with you. Um, I've been to Kenya on number, quite a number of occasions, but it's the first time I've been here. So thank you for your welcome. And uh, thanks for... It's wonderful to be in a multicultural church because I feel at home, because my own home church, we are probably less than 50% British. Uh, and... Uh, we have, yeah, from about 40 different nations represented in our church. Um, and our eldership team is few, four white British, two Indians from different parts of India, and one from Ghana. So that's our eldership team. So I feel very much at home in that sort of context. And uh, it's great to see what God's doing. We. Uh, we don't do the different languages quite so much as you did this morning. I don't know whether that's because it's your special service. Oh, they're nodding at me. I was going to say, it'd be a lot of hard work for every week. Uh, but we, we do sing in, when different... We've got a brother from uh, who's Zulu who often leads worship and he'll obviously bring things from his culture and we translate everything uh, in our services through headphones into Ukrainian to serve the many Ukrainian refugees that we have with us. So that's... Um, and as uh, has been said, uh, I, I've been particularly working for many years in Russia and Ukraine, so it's a very tough time for us, but we're keeping them together. Our last global conference, we had Russians and Ukrainians on the same table. Uh, which is very, very important in the light of what our prophetic, uh, our prophetic mandate is to unite the nations. Because, and uh, recently, just this week, had a conf conference call and heard from, you maybe not heard of this war, but there's a war in Armenia. And we have a team based for New Frontiers, based in Armenia, that serves nations around there. And uh, the... The war is with Azerbaijan, but the Azerbaijan churches connected with them are regularly praying for peace as well as the Armenians. And that's really what we... This is very practical. It's not just that we celebrate it, but it's also that it works out in reconciliation in practice. So it's a theme very, very close to my heart, therefore. And uh, I was singing... How great is our God in Russia and along there, but I wouldn't, wouldn't dare to come up and do that publicly. But uh, uh, so it's uh, really great to celebrate this. And when Cephas wrote to me asking me to come, um, and uh, he said, I was actually in Thailand at the time. We were celebrating our 50th wedding anniversary, my wife and I. So. <laughs> Um, so I only, I only been back in the UK a few days and then we came out, out here. And when he wrote to me, he said, he gave me a number of options, uh, but one of which he said, it's our uh, Every Tribe Sunday, so if you want to address that theme. And I thought, do I address the theme, that theme, in a church that's already celebrating it? Normally you're trying to bring things which aren't being practised. But actually, I felt more and more from the Lord, no, underline 
what is being practiced so that it's got the overall biblical foundation because I'm going to speak on a scripture that's, all, that's been very familiar to you but I want to set it in God's overall plan from Genesis to Revelation basically so, uh, so that you've got a, full, a real biblical understanding of what we're about. Is that all right? Okay. So let's read Ephesians chapter 2. Um, sorry, I didn't get time to get all this to go on the screen. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Don't forget that you Gentiles, that's those who weren't Jews, but it's the same word, for nations, used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it only affected their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God, and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people, when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility towards each other was put to death. I'm going to read that again and I want you to say it after me. You may not be familiar with the New Living Translation, but it sets these things out so clearly. So I'm going to say it again. Our hostility toward each other was put to death. Let's say it together. Our hostility toward each other was put to death. Amen. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. And on to verse six in the next chapter. And this is God's plan. When the Bible says this is God's plan, listen carefully, okay? This is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and uh, mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading the good news. 
Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen? Okay. So, I'm going to speak on this theme of the nations united in Christ. And uh, as I say, although it's the foundation of your church, Paul says at one point, to write the same things to you is no burden to me. And for you, it's safe. Okay, so that's what I'm saying. It's no burden to me to preach the same theme. And for you, it's safe to keep hearing it. So, the key verse, because sometimes we talk about the one humanity in Christ, and because we don't read enough through the scripture, we take, it's a, it's a, I don't know, I think it's a strange Western habit to keep picking verses out, okay, and talking about them, whereas I prefer to say, let's look at the whole sweep of the story, and this is a bit wobbly here, so I better move, okay, <laughs> the whole sweep of the story, and see that in relation to the whole of the Bible. And so this is all leading up to the revelation to these people of God's eternal plan, which, is, which was a mystery hidden in the Old Testament, though there are hints of it, but now revealed. God's plan. What is God's plan? Well, his plan is that all the principalities and authorities, that means all the angels, all the demonic powers, all the strange spiritual powers that lie behind the powers of this world will see God is amazingly wise and has accomplished his purposes despite all that sin, Satan and the hostility that was brought tried to bring into this world. Amen? That's the, that's the purpose of this scripture, of, of, uh, of the one new humanity in Christ that God that the, everybody will see. And if the principalities and powers in the spiritual realm are to see it, so their reflection on earth, the powers that be here are also to see it. I remember when a few years ago, the member of parliament for our city came, and came to our church because we had a special occasion and he was just amazed to see one place in our town where all the nations are together. Yeah? And we need that to be demonstrated. So that's the key verse. That's where it's all going up to. And how is that purpose going to be achieved? Through the church, through a community of ordinary sinful people who have been saved and who have been joined together in this new community. And it's very strong language here used by Paul. 
This is the plan of God, previously hidden, now revealed to the New Testament apostles and prophets. That's the truth that we're living. So it's not an incidental thing. It's not something that, well, some churches like to be multicultural. Others like to remain within their people group. In fact, there's a whole theory of mission that says it's best to just do things within people's own people, to do the gospel within people's own people group. And that's a whole philosophy. But it's not optional. This is the plan of God to demonstrate how wise he is. You are here as evidence that God is wise. Amen? Okay, as we're here together and needs to incorporate many more as well, as I'm sure you have a vision to do. So, this is worked out in different stages. Firstly, worshipping together. And this fulfills promises and patterns all through scriptures and there's references to what went wrong right at the beginning. The story of Ephesians 2 starts in Genesis in chapters 3 and 4. Do you know that? It starts there. Why? Because when sin came into the world, Adam and Eve got sent out of the garden and there was an angel guarding the way to the tree of life to stop them going. Now you have to understand, this is then reflected all the way through the Old Testament, this scene. I'll explain that in a moment. Then hostility came, not, between, not just between man and God, but hostility came between brothers. Okay, Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel. And what does it say? Cain wasn't just put outside the garden like Adam and Eve. Cain was sent afar off into the land of Nod. When scripture says you who are near and you who are afar off, it's going right back to that story. Do you know the story of Cain and Abel? Talk to me. Come on. I thought I was preaching in Africa. Okay. (laughs) I'd expect in England no one to answer. But... (laughs) And, and so this pattern was there. Adam and Eve were just outside the garden. Cain was sent to the land of Nod, of restlessness. And he, all the time he would have been sub, subject to thinking that because of the blood vengeance system, where if one part of one family is killed by someone, then they have a right and that this toe in many parts of the world still today, to kill someone from the, the other family that killed theirs, and so on. And uh, because of that, it says he had a mark put upon him. And in the land of Nod, people put all sorts of marks on them still to try and hope that they will be okay. That's what happens when you're far away from God. In fact, one commentator said on that Cain and Abel story, He said, when the world becomes fatherless, that's where Cain was in the land of Nod, it becomes a weird and homeless place and I'm driven into unending flight. 
every tree, every milestone becomes a threat. So I try and charm away the weirdness with something that dangles in my car. Familiar? Or I consult the stars for some dodge by which to escape being caught in my run of bad luck. Or I procure lucky numbers to increase my chances and find out the dates and the times when I think I must be careful because they're unlucky seasons. This is law of the life. This is the law of life in the land of Nod when the security of home is gone. That's what the world is like. That's what it means to be far off. You've got no hope, you've got no promises. And that's where we all were, unless you're Jewish. I don't know, are there any Messianic Christians in the congregation? <laughs> no, okay. No, we haven't got any either, so it's not just... Uh, when I'm in Russia or Ukraine, there's usually at least one. Most of the believers in Israel are Russian-speaking. Okay, so uh, they're in, we were far off. And so Paul is alluding to this huge story of God. You know, the whole Bible hangs together. We carve it up, but the whole thing hangs together. So Paul describes here those who are, are far off or far away. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have now been brought near through the blood of Christ. Amen? He came and preached peace to you who are far away and to those who are near. For through him, we both worship by having access to the Father through the one Spirit. That is who we are. And so we are a worshipping together people, those near and those afar off. I'd like you to join me in acting this out in a moment, but we won't go there yet. Are you, you all right with that? You all right in that sort of participation? Okay. <laughs> okay. So, then, so one people worshipping. Secondly, one new humanity or one new people. I prefer that to one new man, you know, because the word, you know, English is a very defective language, isn't it? Because man describes both a male individual and what we call mankind. So this is one new humanity in Christ because divisions between men and women are also smashed in Christ. We're all equal co-heirs. So I prefer one people or one new humanity as more modern translations have it. We are one new humanity in Christ. What's that teaching? Well, in the temple, right in the innermost part was 
the most holy place. And in front of that was a curtain. And on that curtain was, in, was a picture of an angel guarding the way. Why? Because it goes back to the Garden of Eden. All the, the tabernacle had that in the wilderness. The temple had that. You read the detail. The angels carved there to say, you can't come in. You can't come in. And the high priest could just go in there once a year. Okay. Then as you came into the temple, there was an... There was the next court was the court of Jewish men. Sorry, ladies. You were excluded as well for that court. Then there was the court of Jewish women. Then there was a strong wall. On that wall was written as you approach it, anyone not of Jewish birth going further will be responsible for their own death. Not the most, you give out nice welcome leaflets. <laughs> These, this was the welcome for the nations that would come in because they were felt there was one true God and they wanted to worship him, but they saw that. It's why, and, and then in Jesus' day, you couldn't do much in the cause of the nations because there were all the money changers there and the people selling things. That's why Jesus was so angry. He said, no, no, my house is to be a house of prayer for all nations. And in the place where all the nations can come in the temple, they can't worship God because of all the noise going on. It's why some of the Greeks, it says, they'd come up for the Passover hoping to see something and they couldn't get in, but they understood the truth better than most people, even the disciples. And so they came up to some of the disciples with Greek names, they thought they'd be friendly, and said, but if we can't go there, can we see Jesus? And Jesus said, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men. He's thinking of the Greeks that couldn't go in. Okay? So that's what was there. And so that was the temple. And so when Jesus died, first of all, the curtain got torn in two. Amen? So that we can all go in. Secondly, the... Division between men and women was so, demo, was so broken that it was actually women that first took the message of the resurrection. You understand? The first preachers of the resurrection were the women. Then this great wall that was still standing in the literal temple until it was destroyed in AD 70, but spiritually was destroyed when Jesus died because... In his body, he, he killed all the hostility between Jew and Gentile and therefore between all the nations of the world. You understand? That's what this is teaching. And it's linked with the whole themes of Scripture. So, let's just do a... Who would like to represent the Jews? Well, so, come on, some are volunteer. Okay? Okay. 
So, what's your name? My name is Ethan. Ethan. Okay, Ethan, you are an honorary Jew for the sake of this talk. Great. Okay? Great to be a Jew, man. Yeah, okay, that's right. Now, could we have a representation of different nations and tribes? Not everybody, because it would be the whole church, and I can't have all the whole church at the front. I don't want to create that. I only want to create a little bit of chaos, not too much. Okay? So can we have one representative of some of the different nations here, please? Some of you run here, quick. And shout out what you're from. Shout out what you're from. USA. Come on. Oh, there. Yeah. You're far off. Remember, the Americans are in the land of Nod. Far off. Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe. They're far off as well. I'm representing unreached people groups. Okay. Oh, oh. Philippines. Okay. Great. Anyone else? I'm from Kenya. I'm from Kenya. Great. Okay. Okay. So all these heathens are far away in the land of Nod, far away, only the Jews are close, okay? And even though the curtain's here, don't come in, Ethan, unless you're the high priest. No, you're not the high priest, okay? Once a year. But when Jesus died, the curtain was torn, the wall was smashed. Those, wait a minute, you haven't heard the gospel yet. Okay, <laughs> the, the gospel was preached to those in the land of superstition and nod, those who follow their own culture rather than the gospel. You understand? And suddenly, the curtain's torn, the wall is smashed, and the Jews don't go in without the nations. Come on, quickie. So we all run in. The curtain's gone. Now join the Jews. Hooray! Okay. Forgive me being simple, but that's, what this, that's the illustration acted out of what that scripture is teaching. Okay, you may sit down. <laughs> so... Jesus through the cross broke the barrier between God and mankind, between God and humanity, the curtain. He broke the barrier of legalism because he said he did it by abolishing all the laws and regulations. It's a strange thing to say, isn't it? Well, you see, in the Old Testament... There are some laws which are taken over into the New Testament and become part of the law of Christ. They are moral things, like the sanctity of marriage, I'm glad you're doing the marriage course, and so on. Okay? So, they... But there were other laws that were there to keep Israel as a separate nation. Okay? Food laws, they couldn't eat certain things couldn't eat shellfish, couldn't eat pigs, couldn't eat 
was in China recently and had a whole dish of maggots. They couldn't eat those. <laughs> and the, uh, so they had all these things and circumcision and all these things to keep Israel as a separate nation. And that was important. It was important they remained a separate nation. Why was that, do you think? Why do you think that it was important they were a separate nation? Yes, but the reason they were kept separate was because the Messiah was to come from Israel. And therefore it was important that the people of Israel stayed together because the Messiah was come. But when the Messiah came... All these laws that distinguished the Jews from the other nations were smashed in the cross. Amen? So that's all gone. The Apostle Peter, he'd been, obviously he'd been told to go to every nation with the, with the gospel, but he hadn't quite worked out what it meant. He thought it probably meant Jews in all over the dispersion of the ancient world. And he hadn't quite got it. And so... God caused a sheet to come out of heaven and in it were all the foods that the nations ate. Okay? You know, there were shellfish in there, you know, for those that live by the sea and love to eat shellfish. Okay? There was, I say to my Russian and Ukrainian friends, there were pigs in there so that the Russians and Ukrainians can have all their wonderful pork. In Ukraine, you eat big slabs of pork fat. It's their delicacy. Okay. <laughs> By the way, you can't go to a nation and preach the gospel to them if you don't eat their food. That's what Peter had to learn. And so... God was saying, all these distinctions are now gone. You understand? So, Jesus through the cross did that. And the new temple became one new humanity in Christ. It became a people. Um, that became effectively one nationality, not foreigners anymore. You know, whenever you go through immigration, you know, we came into Kenya and there were Kenyan citizens, they could go right through quickly. It's the same when you come to England. It'd probably make you wait longer. And we were in a long, long queue <laughs> because we were, didn't actually say foreigners, it was much more polite. So, some places I go to, it says aliens, okay? <laughs> but here it just said other nationalities or something like that. So we all had to line up there, okay? But in Christ, that's all been abolished. We are now one nation. But, and this is the glory of the gospel, we don't all speak one language again. Pentecost wasn't saying, let's restore one language. Pentecost was saying every language is going to understand the gospel. You understand? And in the new heaven and new earth, it's still not one language. It's every language are there. Why? Because, you know, I know a little bit about languages because I travel. 
every language can say things that other languages can't quite say. That's why translation is always slightly approximate. Okay? And therefore, to glorify God, every language is needed. To demonstrate the creativity of God, every culture is needed. So you are one nation in Christ, but you still have the glory of, your own, of the good things in your own culture, which you bring to magnify and glorify God. And our languages do the same. Okay, that's, that's why it is. So, but also, Paul goes on to say, I'll go through this briefly, I've made my main point, but these are important as well. You're not only one nation, you are one household, one family. Okay, that means you're a family together. It's why we, in our, in, we always used family language. I was doing a Zoom webinar for a, another group of churches which I've never met, but they got in touch with me and wanted me to do a webinar on my book, Fathering Leaders, Motivating Mission. And uh, then I did a whole series of training for them on video. I've never met any of the people. I don't know who they are, really. Well, I've heard of them. I've read some of their books. But this was a whole, another group of churches not associated with us at all. And uh, I was talking about the church as a family all the time. And the guy who led this group said, yeah, we, we've got something to learn here. We've always talked about being friends. And that's good. But we haven't used family language. Whereas all the way, the Bible uses family language. Greet older men, sorry, speak to older men as fathers. Older women as mothers. Younger men as brothers. Yeah, yeah, younger women as sisters, but keep your purity. That's Paul's instructions to Timothy. It's always family. When God what, announced his plan to change the world, he chose a man and his family. And he said to Abraham, through your seed, through your family, all the families on earth will be blessed. In the, the later promise, there's nations. But the first promise says families. All the families on earth will be blessed. So the people of God are one family to bless all the families on earth. Then turn to your neighbour and say, we are one family to bless every family on earth. <laughs> Amen? That means this relationship it means you do things families do. You share things. You, have, you share your goods. The New Testament church did that. You serve one another. One anothering is one of the huge themes of the New Testament. It's not top down. It's not, some, it's not even Ephesians 4 gifts to the church. It's Ephesians 4 gifts to equip the church to do the work of the ministry to one another. That's, that's what it is. It never, you know, 
Leadership is not exalted in the church like it is in the world. Leadership is, is servant-hearted to equip the church to demonstrate the glory of God. Because it's not leadership that demonstrates the glory of God, it's the church. Just throw that in. Okay. <laughs> then it says, you're a temple. You're being built together Carefully built together. Now, building is hard work. Okay? You know, can you two come here, please? I hope you don't mind all this. Okay? These two are brand new converts. And they're living stones, but they're very awkward shapes. (laughs) Okay? And he's... (laughs) And God wants to build them together. But it's a bit hard. They rub each other the wrong way. They, they elbow each other in unfortunate ways. And the gradually, God is making them different. That's called discipleship. In order that they can be built together to be one temple where God lives by His Spirit. Amen? <laughs> One day. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So one temple. And the temple must fill the earth. The Bible says, the whole earth will be filled with the glory of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Amen? That means temples must be everywhere. It's why we must plant churches everywhere. You've got to reproduce yourselves in mission to plant everywhere because the temple must fill the earth. And many other Christian groups will be doing the same thing. Hallelujah. And we honour all. But we put our part in it. So I'm passionate about church planting. My wife and I used to live three months a year in Russia for quite a while to help equip a church. That church has now planted 90 other churches and they've lost track of the number of gypsy house churches in villages that they've planted. They've lost, they can't count them anymore. You understand? Because they're not just formed as a church, they're formed to fill the earth with the glory of God. They've recently planted a nomadic church amongst the reindeer people of the Arctic. Last, when I sp- spoke to them, they were waiting for winter to finish so they can baptise them in the river because it's frozen at the moment. Okay. <laughs> That's what we must do. See the temple everywhere. And it's also a demonstration. This is to be seen, demonstrated to the principalities and powers, as I said at the beginning. So, application, very briefly, because I know my time's gone, isn't it, almost? You haven't a clue, okay. When the... Okay, yeah, I know. But I, 
I got some, I got a communication which said when you finish, but I can't remember what it said. Okay, so. <laughs> but application. Firstly, it must be practiced. Must be put into practice. That's what you do here. What could I say? It must be practiced. The church should reflect the places where they live ethnically and socially. Okay, rich and poor together, as well as different ethnicities. Very important. And we say, how do we reflect? It's to be demonstrated, practiced. How do we demonstrate that? We're finding it harder to be one church socially than we were to be one church ethnically. Okay. Secondly, it's to be preached. Well, that's what I'm doing. But Paul said, this is the revelation of the gospel that I was given. The gospel is, yes, we will be saved through Christ and his work on the cross, which means we have an eternal destiny with him in the new heaven and new earth. It also means we preach that we demonstrate to the principalities and powers the wisdom of God through this one body. So we preach the church as part of our gospel preaching. Sometimes that we preach the gospel to individuals and then hope they get involved in church. No, no. You are, the whole point of being saved is to be joined into this new community composed of every tribe and tongue and nation. So it's to be preached. Secondly, it's not secondly, what was it? I've forgotten. Okay, thirdly, yeah. I've got, yes. It's worth suffering, Paul, Paul said. He said, for this reason, because I preach this, I'm in prison. He said, I thought, Paul, you were in prison because you were Christian. Yes, he was, but actually, he was first put into prison because the Jews thought that he had taken a Gentile and taken him through into the proper part of the temple. Paul hadn't done that, because it's strange, when we're reaching people with the gospel, we honour their beliefs, we don't pull them down, but we demonstrate something different. When we're working in Muslim countries, we must do that. We honour them, we don't belittle them, and then we demonstrate something different. So, Paul was so preaching about one new humanity in Christ and Jews and Gentiles joined together that they sort of assumed because they saw him with this Gentile, they must, he must have taken them into the temple. He hadn't, but that's what the, the, the revolt was that caused him to be put into prison in the first place. So that's why Paul could say, for this reason... I am in prison. And it's to be prayed about. Because immediately at the end of chapter 3 of Ephesians, we didn't read it, Paul goes into prayer. And he says, for this reason, I'm praying. I bow my knees. You know, we're praying for this. We're that the creator of everything in heaven and on earth, 
I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he'll empower you with inner strength through his spirit. And Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Amen? We pray this into being for the whole church of Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay. So, just to finish, you are celebrating it. But I want you to see that this is huge plan of God which you get the beginnings of in Genesis, you get the finality of in Revelation and what was hidden is now revealed in Christ and Christ is there to bring us not just personal salvation, not just a personal walk with God, important though both are, but a people that demonstrate his presence, a temple that demonstrates him and a people that demonstrate they are free of nationalism, tribalism. You know, you can love your country, pray for your country, be proud of being from your country, that's all fine. But never in a way that belittles other countries like nationalism does. Okay? So... We, are, we live free of those things and we understand that is to be our witness to the principalities and powers, to the people around, we demonstrate what God has done in Christ. It's part of our testimony, part of our testimony, not just I've been saved, but part of my testimony is, and I've been reconciled with all the other people groups that I uh, might have otherwise had difficulty with. Amen? <laughs> That's what we do. May God bless you as you continue on this journey and plant churches everywhere and reach into all different sectors of society. May God equip you as you do that. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's just, let's just pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this church. I thank you for the privilege of serving them. I thank you for the revelation of your scripture. I thank you for all this wonderful truth means to us. And Lord, I pray Help them in their mission. Lord, help them not to be complacent about where they are, but help them to re keep reaching out, keep reaching out. Help them to plant other churches. Help them to reach into different sectors of society. Lord, I pray, let them be who you called them to be, the family of God on mission together in Jesus' name. And again, all God's people said, Amen. Bless you. Amen.